0: Brown and welcome to Passages. Passages is a space to explore Bible passages used in churches for preaching, reflection, and prayer. My hope is that Passages will shine a unique light on text used in the lectionary in the coming weeks. Today's passage is Luke chapter 4, verses 1 to 13. It's the scripture reading for the first Sunday of Lent in the year C cycle of the lectionary. It happens to be one of the scriptural readings from March 6, 2022. As the story of Jesus's temptation in the wilderness uh, is described in Luke's gospel, it's set directly next to his baptism. Uh, And this is true for some of the other gospels as well, uh, where this story is included. But Luke deliberately sets the story directly next to his baptism story, because these two locations are relative to each other. I've had the privilege to go to the Holy Land a couple of times, and the location of Jesus' baptism in a place called Bethany beyond Jordan is, of course, in the Jordan River just north of the Dead Sea, and uh, there is a a monastery built in the cliffside up above the ancient city of Jericho uh, that is traditionally held as the place of Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. If you ever have a chance to go there, you can see very quickly how Jesus could literally walk out of the water walk a few miles across a a plain and then into this wilderness that is barren, where there's no water, and where he could experience a temptation that's described in this particular text. The location here is not the issue, but understanding the proximity of things helps. Luke is careful to note that as Jesus comes out of the water of baptism, he is full of the Holy Spirit in Luke chapter 4, verse 1. And this being full of the Spirit is one of Luke's favorite descriptions. He uses it of Jesus several times, and Luke is also the writer of the book of Acts. And in that book, uh, being filled with the Spirit or being full of the Holy Spirit is used often in Luke's writings. Jesus was led by the Spirit. There's a sense that this is not an accident, but rather Jesus living in perfect harmony and cooperation with the leadership of the Holy Spirit. The text tells us that for 40 days, Jesus was tempted by the devil. Now, Luke is careful to use the word devil in his particular version of this story. Uh, There are other versions of the story that use the word Satan to describe the individual tempting Jesus. In Matthew's gospel, it uses a mixture of the word Satan and tempter. Uh, The word Satan is a Hebrew word, Satan, and it means uh, the accuser or, or the one who brings a charge. Um, Devil is more of a Greek word related to Greek culture, and it symbolizes and is best described as the the, the diabolical one, kind of the schemer, one always looking to get an angle, if you will. Luke uses a word here that will connect with his Greek-speaking audience. Remember, Luke's audience is not dominantly Jews. Rather, his audience is dominantly Greeks and Romans. and So he uses a word here that would resonate in their context. You know, Jesus, it says in the story, was tempted for 40 days. He ate nothing during this time. And Luke even omits the word fasting that Matthew includes, because for Matthew, the notion of fasting connects with this Jewish context of the story. But for Luke, uh, this word for fasting doesn't really mean much in this Greek culture. It simply describes that he ate nothing. And of course, after 40 days, he was hungry. So these temptations that we're going to read about that are offered to Jesus by the devil in this story are not extraordinary occurrences. They are similar to experiences that we have as well. That's the first key passageway in this text for us today, that being purposeful oftentimes brings obstacles and temptations. Now, certainly one of the temptations we often face is the temptation of ease. You know, some would frame this issue uh, in this particular story about one of spiritual warfare. The devil opposes those who seek God's call and purpose. Others would say that these events are normal when we choose to set a life toward a calling. Now, regardless of your theology around this, the dynamic is relatively the same. Now, for me, I believe it's a matter of overcoming Not only the sin of conformity to this world, but it's also a spiritual engagement, even leaning into this notion of spiritual warfare, that when we choose God's grace and love, when we choose to live as people of purpose, oftentimes obstacles and hardships happen. Because we're really cutting against the grain when we choose to live a life out of God's love and grace. And so obstacles and temptations are bound to happen. And really it boils down to this, that the ramifications of our actions of love and grace for God cannot stop us from doing what's right. The first temptation is a self-serving temptation. It's a temptation about privilege. Does Jesus warrant or enjoy a special place where he should no longer be hungry. If you read the text, it tells us in verse 3, the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell the stone to become bread. This notion of privilege is critical, and Jesus is facing a testing about his identity and what role he will have as the son of God. Now, these are all descriptions in this story that align to different periods of testing because it says that Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 year, forty days. You might remember the story of the children of Israel leaving Egypt and they were in the wilderness for 40 years, whether it's 40 days, 40 weeks, 40 months, 40 years. The number 40 is a symbolic number often in the Bible. It refers to temptation, testing, purification, sanctification. And after these 40 days, Jesus, of course, is hungry. And the devil is putting before him, he says, if you are the son of God, tell the stone to become bread. It's not so much about Jesus's capacity to do so. It's really about whether his relationship as the son of God entitles him to do so, that he should enjoy a privilege that others do not enjoy. Jesus's re- response is lifted from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. He says physical need and hunger are not the driving factors of our life. Ambition is good, but it's a matter of where that ambition is directed. So Jesus' ambition is to be the perfect son of the Father, but there's a way in which he has to express that ambition that engenders love and hope and grace in the world. Every temptation that the devil is going to put before Jesus is lifted from Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's the devil actually quotes scripture to Jesus, and Jesus' response are all found in the scripture. And the question here is about privilege, whether Jesus will be self-serving. And the key passageway in this temptation is this, is that counting on God's provision in our life defeats our notion of helping ourselves. Now, we're not passive agents who just sit around waiting for God to take some kind of action and we ourselves do nothing. But instead, no, we're active in our reliance on God's provision. Jesus affirms in his answer to the devil that life is more than just bread, whatever that might be for us. We are to live purposeful lives directed by God's Spirit, thus a life of Prayer, community, and worship keep our focus on God and on others. Temptation, too, is a self-centered temptation. The, the, the devil then suggested to Jesus that he could receive all honor and authority by redirecting his worship. It says in verse 5, He led him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, I will give you this domain and its glory, for it has been handed over to me, and I give it to whomever I want. Therefore, if you worship before me, it shall be yours. Once again, the temptation is about Jesus's relationship to God. The, The devil's temptation is not about the end game. What the devil describes, how... Everything will be Jesus's or everything will belong to Jesus. Everything will be handed over to him, dominion and glory. That's going to be true. What the devil isn't offering him is that as much as what the devil is offering him is about how Jesus gets to that end game. In other words, the devil is suggesting that Jesus take a shortcut, a shortcut that might serve Jesus's own economy well, but it will fail everything he must do as son of God. Jesus would then deny the world the gift of his love if he took this shortcut. And the hair being split here is this, is that what kind of authority will Jesus yield to? Will he yield to the authority of power? Or will he yield to the authority of love? Is Jesus going to be self-centered or other-centered? Shall Jesus go about things the way the world goes about things? Ambition, power, control, manipulation. Or will he go about it the way God does? Which one endures? Which one will last? So Jesus responds, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Such a critical Citation of Jesus from the book of Deuteronomy. You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And that opens up the key passageway for us, is that God's economy runs on the fuel of love. You know, Jesus is being given a shortcut that benefits only him and no one else. Yes, he would rule, but he would rule the same way the Romans rule, with power, fear, In every situation, we're called to consider how our lives can multiply and expand grace. This is a mathematical formula in some ways. When we try to seize power or to take power or to exercise that kind of power, it's a plus for us, but it's a minus for everybody else. And sometimes if we embrace a minus for us, On the front end, which is only temporary, it will be a plus for many others, including us. You see, if we pursue God based on love, that is a gift that will multiply to other people. Whereas if we just embrace this quick pathway to power, that benefits no one but us. Shall we live by love or fear? Shall others experience love or fear from us? Which one grows? Which one kills? In this third temptation, we see a temptation to become self-absorbed. This final temptation focuses on Jesus' interactions with death. The, The devil suggests that Jesus can be prevented from experiencing death. The temptation is simple in Luke chapter 4, verse 9. And he, the devil, brought him into Jerusalem and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will give his angels orders concerning you to protect you. And on their hands, they will lift you up so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. The temptation is for Jesus to do a a public stunt, if you will, and throw him off the temple in Jerusalem where everyone can see him. Because if he throws himself off the temple, there's no way that he would die by falling to the ground, that he would be rescued from death. You see, this is less about Jesus's relationship as son, and it's actually more about his capacity as son. Why experience death when you don't have to is what the devil is telling him. This is more than just a shortcut here. This is about self-absorption. Will or is Jesus' purposefulness shaped by what's good for him? In a sense, what the devil is saying is this. Isn't martyrdom overrated? To, to do so, to do what the devil is inviting Jesus to do, is to force God's hand of divine protection as a public spectacle. Jesus' death will be public, but it will be at a time of his choosing. Shall Jesus be rescued from death, or shall Jesus and the cosmos be rescued through death? That's the question. And that opens up our final key passageway, that we are a people Preserved through life and death, not rescued from either. Your self-absorption leads us into a space where cause and effect always place us at the center. Jesus' antidote for this is to live a life bigger than just your own life. Our vision is not driven by what suits us best but what suits God best, and thus the world best. These temptations, all three of them, reflect the realities we live live in and face each day. Let me rephrase these temptations, all three of them, into questions. The first one, don't I deserve better than what I already have? The second one, why should I worry about how people experience me? Third, how can I make this situation as easy as possible for me? You see, these are questions we face on the giving end and on the receiving end each day. And Jesus, in his response to all three of these temptations, a response built from Scripture, he shows us the way to be set free and saved from this kind of bondage. It's the bondage of shortcut. It's the bondage of ease. It's the bondage of consumerism. Jesus can set us and this whole world free from it if we will embrace a life of grace and love. In Jesus' name. That's it for this week. I bid you all grace. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.